Have you ever wanted to talk to a complete stranger? Somebody on the bus, in class, at the grocery store. Not just to hit on them, but just to talk. Have a moment. Here's something real. And here's a chance to do that. This is Story Talk, the conversation you've never heard. And today's conversation, kindness. Under Story Talk producer and your host today. And I said, What is that smell? It's like burning. And they realized that grandma's underwear was um, burning up by the light. <laughs> That's Deb. She's an advocate in Ravalli County, Montana for victims of violent crime. And I remember I flipped them off, and I remember I remember thinking that I don't know what this means, but I saw people do this and the reaction, and I was like, I was like, you're a hack and you're stupid, and, and like no one likes your writing. He's a writer. Uh, I just walked out. <laughs> That's Joel Weltzine. He's a senior at the University of Montana studying anthropology, and he's a part of the Story Talk team. I had to have a kid drive by in a truck, throw a beer bottle at me, and miss me, and hit a window of the place I was walking by for the police to do a goddamn thing. This is Jordan. He's a student at the University of Montana, but he's taking a gap year right now. And I'm hosting this week, so you'll hear me too. Let's get started. Back when I was a a freshman in high school, I was living with my mother in Billings. And we, my mother has a thing called goraphobia, which is fear of the outside. So she's scared to leave the house. She has social, high social anxiety. And through that, she can't work. And so we were getting money from the government through SSI. And we also were on food stamps. And it was a struggle for money sometimes. And we had a month where some of the food stamp stuff was having a problem where it would, um, like, they had cut the, how much we were supposed to get, or it would just randomly not, the card wouldn't work, we have to call ten times for them to get the card to work right. And we had a situation where we had, we were at the grocery store, we had already rung up all of our food, and we swiped the, we swiped the food stamps card to try to pay for it, and it declines. And we try a couple times, won't go through. We try calling, and the, they, we can't get to a person to help us. It's just it's, we're having all kinds of problems. And the person behind us in line stepped forward and just paid the hundred dollars for our, for our food. Like they just bought all of our groceries for us. Um, and it was like really, if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't have been eating that week until the food until we got the food stamp situation taken care of. So that was probably one of the, the kindest things. And. In that same time frame, too, we our car had just broken down, and we no longer had a car anymore. And so we've had a couple instances where we've had people drive us home from the grocery store because there's a problem where we can't get a cab to come get us. Because that's how we were getting to and from the grocery store, was taking a cab or having to walk the 10 blocks. And so that was... That was a time where I really lived off kindness of others, literally living off other people's kindness for getting to eat that week. So that's the fact, someone buying us their groceries is probably the kindest thing we've ever had. I could relate to that too. I know when um, growing up, when my parents first divorced, my mom was not working and we were living with my grandmother. And um, so we were like two hours apart driving back and forth between houses. And when we got to a grocery store at one point, um, my mom had lost her wallet. And so just somebody there had 
behind the deli counter or whatever gave all of us five kids something to eat. I mean, just something that seems maybe simple, but it was much appreciated. Like, what comes to mind wouldn't be a, a very, like, um, it would be something that probably objectively is kind of, like, irrelevant, but probably to me was pretty significant. And that would be just, like, um, I think when I was a kid, like, spending time with my um, with my youth pastor at my church, who's also a, um, he was also my drum teacher, and that's, like, one of my biggest hobbies now. And so I learned how to play the drums from this guy, and he would spend so much, like, of his free time, not just lessons or not just, like, youth group, but just being really involved with me specifically and with all of, like, a group of friends at this church. And, um, like, talking about, like, sports and music and all the things that were really fun, but it was just, like, he really had... Um, passionate about like um just like like helping kids grow it wasn't necessarily religious obviously that's that is where it was based but he just was a really nice guy who really cared about like the youth of, of our small community in dylan yeah, for sure yeah and joel i can relate to that too i had a teacher in seventh grade and i just moved to a new school and a new community and the fact that she took time to actually pay attention and we would write notes to each other like little letters that she kept in confidence and she's still one of my most favorite teachers that it was just a little bit of extra of something that I really needed because I came from a big blended family and just that kind of individualized attention of you know you matter just by writing back um, was very impactful for me what's the effect of kindness kindness the outcome of kindness from my perspective, is it um, if, if enough kindness is given, it can make someone reliant on you, and in in some in some relationships, that's a that's a good thing. Like you want to be with your pets, you want to be kind to your pets. They rely on you. You feed them or your children. You um, take care of them, and they're reliant on you until they can become self sufficient. But in a, a lot of situations, what we would think would be kindness is actually enabling someone sometimes. And that's a fine line, isn't it? And so that's that's one thing is kindness makes someone reliant on you if done more than once. And so that can, in some situations, it's great. And you want that to happen. And you want them to rely on you and you rely on them. But other times you are, it, kindness can be an enabler. Mm -hmm. And so that's when healthy boundaries come into effect, right? I think, I wonder how much is, is the significance to the recipient where your heart is at when you're enacting on kindness. Like if I was walking around and I have a sandwich and it's really good and I want to eat my sandwich and I see this homeless guy and I think, man, this homeless guy would probably really like this sandwich. Um, I, I'm giving it to him like, it's, it's me doing that, being like, oh, you know, this is, this is, my, this is my thing. Like check for the day and I'm going to go out and, and drink tonight. And, like, I'll do the normal things I do. This is just my like fulfilling that need. But it's not – or is it from a place of genuinely – to him, to the recipient, he gets his sandwich either way. And I think and, – and he wouldn't necessarily know my motive behind it, honestly. I think that's – like you can genuinely give or you can give with, with preconceived attachments to that that you have yourself. And I don't know necessarily how that would affect the, the recipient or if it would affect them at all if they just wouldn't know and they so i think that 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 like where why you do something is about you mm -hmm. and i think that is and in terms of how the kindness affects you as as someone doing the, the act of kindness that that changes but not necessarily the recipient wouldn't necessarily i think but depending on that's an example i can't help but mm -hmm. 
Yeah, is, is it meeting your need or is it meeting their need again? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think you can do both, obviously, you as can. well. Who is a kind person in your life and why? Okay. I would say because I, again, a blended family with eight children, you know, it's hard to have individualized attention. So I'd have to say I had a family who kind of took me in and they're like my surrogate parents. And, you know, they'd always invite me over for dinner or any, like, even if I was sick, I'd live like 10 miles out of town from where I went to high school. I'd go over there and they'd give me soup and I could spend the night and whatever, like they pampered and nurtured me. And um, to this day, um, I'm in touch with them and we're, they're still back in Kansas where I'm from originally. And um, I stay in touch with them because they treated me so well throughout the years. What do you mean by a blended family? Um, His, hers, and ours. So original nuclear family of five kids and then um they then my stepdad had two kids from one marriage two from another and then together my my mom and stepdad had another child so there's actually 10 kids but eight in the home that I was growing up with okay person who's been most kind to me um I probably would have to say my uh High school, my se- senior year of high school, my uh, one of my teachers, Miss Duffin, she taught government and humanities, and she was also the uh, person who did the school plays. She was the one of the directors, her and the art, the art teacher, and um, she was probably what I consider to be like um, one of my kind people kindness to me. Um, she gave me a chance when I was a sophomore, yeah, sophomore in high school. I'd just come back. Uh, their lead role, the play just had no longer could be in the play anymore about three weeks before the before the performance and she gave me a chance to be in the play becoming the lead role being a sophomore rather than giving to one of the seniors and just generally like working with me a lot because me and her have very opposing views and everything and my and humanities class we learned my ideal is her worst hell and so her just working with me and giving me opportunities with things with the school play and taking her government class and her humanities class and setting aside to help teach me things even though I want to learn what she hates. And so, to me, that's a kindness of her suffering for me to get a better education. So, I think for me, probably the person who is kind, who, I don't know, I think shows the most kindness is my little brother. Uh, he's like six years younger than me, but he's got like the kindest heart. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, his name's Zandy, and he, I don't know, one day he like called me up randomly and he's like, "Hey, what? If you were to get like some pl- piece of wearable tech, what would you get?" And I'd be like, "I don't know if I get wearable tech. I'd probably get like a camera thing for my phone." But I didn't think twice about it. And then like a few weeks later in the mail, he bought one for me. And he's like 15. Wow. He was probably like 14 at the time. I, he, I don't know. It just made me cry when I got it. And he like. I don't know. It's my kind of dream to get into comedy and stuff, and so he he drew a picture of me at the Daily Show desk, <laughs> and I like started bawling, and I was yeah, I don't know it. Yeah, he teaches me a lot about kindness too. He's just, I remember when he was like six, he saw somebody who was begging on the street for food, and like my mom was driving at the time, and he's like, we should get him a muffin, and so we went and bought him a muffin and gave it to him. Like my mom didn't teach him that; he did it. You know. And that raises the question that I have is like, 
why do some people have kindness and can give that and why are others not? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a question that you have coming up, but I was thinking about that. And to me, it seems like empathy has a lot to do with it. And if people are taught empathy, which I think is one of the most important qualities to learn growing up. But um, mm -hmm. sometimes that's hard to learn when we have had a really hard childhood, but we can still learn it. It's just um, sometimes people stay stuck in their um, their pain, and it's harder for them to maybe open up their hearts. But mm -hmm. uh, What's the most unkind thing you've ever done? I could think of one. So again, with the big family, so I, my younger brother and I um, used to wrestle together because I had an older brother who was in wrestling and he would teach us younger kids how to wrestle. And one time we got into a little wrestling, you know, not just a match, but we were like, then we started you know, like getting too rough. And I don't have a mean streak in me normally, but the self-defense kicked in, and he had me in a headlock and some things, and I actually bit my brother. I mean, I had remorse afterwards, but it got him to release me from the headlock. But, you know, looking back at that, I don't like to be, you know, do something like that because it just feels so bad afterwards. But mm -hmm. so that was a little bit of a survival thing, but it's not, it doesn't come natural to me, but I, I guess it's good if you have to defend yourself sometimes. Yeah. When that's necessary. It's got a similar one to that. Like, probably the most unkind thing ever done. I, my brother and I were debating in a car ride uh, in the back of our minivan for about, like, theater versus sports and what's better. And it was, like, a, definitely a, like, a 11, 12-year-old conversation that we were having, and we were screaming at each other. And we started getting a little violent, and when we got into the car, we were fighting in the garage. We got out of the car, we were fighting in the garage, and I, we were just fighting, and I took him, and I slammed him, and he hit his head on the concrete. And I never touched my brother again after that. Like, he would, like fight me for remotes the remote for the TV remote sometimes but I I didn't try to hurt him completely after that you know yeah. I don't know I still think back of it and I'm like why did I did that in my life that was something I did I have to own it you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember those important parts theater is always better than sports <laughs> <laughs> in case you're wondering <laughs> Um, probably the most unkind thing I've done. Uh, I have once... So, you know, there are some beggars who have, like, the container of money that sit out in front of them, and they'll do, like, play some kind of instrument or do something else, and they, um, that way they don't actually hold the container. I've stolen one of those containers one time. <laughs> and so that's probably the most unkind thing I've done is stealing from a beggar. I only got like $13 out of it too, so it wasn't really that profitable either, but that happened. I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of the most kind thing I've done, but one thing that I think is interesting is that in all of your examples, you felt remorse about it. You felt very, even you bit your brother, you slammed your brother, and immediately afterwards you were like, oh, I feel so bad, and you never hit your brother again, stuff like that. And I'm curious if you guys have had any like, act, like acts of unkindness that you didn't feel bad about that you didn't, that you were 
fine with and that would you would do again perhaps I think for me if I'm living in alignment with my values I would have either shame or guilt so no being unkind is never I've not even felt good about but even to point of being just okay about it or neutral about it. No, I always have a negative feeling of being unkind. However, I'm sure we do unkind things. I don't know how frequently, just if we're not aware of it, you know, because sometimes we don't, again, intentionally do things, but maybe we're not aware of how maybe our words or attitudes or gestures could impact somebody. The most unkind thing that I can think of right now was um, when I was eight years old, my family uh, lived in Australia for about six months. And when we were there, I remember my dad My dad and I are the most um, similar in, like, um, I think in personality type. We both would be, like, pretty hot-headed and, like, uh, and quick to anger. And therefore, it would make our arguments, like, really, like, not logical at all because we were just getting mad at each other. But I remember this one time. Um, I was talking with my dad about something. And he was, we were getting mad at each other and we were in a little apartment in Australia. And I remember, I flipped him off and I remember, I remember thinking that I don't know what this means, but I saw people do this and in reaction. And I was like, I was like, you're a hack and you're stupid and, and like no one likes your writing. He's a writer. Uh, I just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked out. And my dad's a, my dad's a pretty, like, he's a pretty, um, I would say he's not a very, um, typical masculine character he's a, he's a pretty sensitive guy like he's still like whenever I, I go home to Dylan which is like two hours away for a weekend he always like gets teary-eyed when I come back to leave even though I see him like every month so he's so I think he kind of he, he took that pretty roughly when I was eight years old and I talked shit about his writing but but since then I you know I've read it and I think it's pretty good stuff <laughs> I told him that so but I think that probably like that little thing you know an eight-year-old saying yeah hey, your writing sucks that oh. probably would have you know that probably would have hit him at home pretty uh, hard because I was his kid, and yeah. yeah. There's another thing I did to my told my mom one time that I still feel get kind of guilty about. Like I was, I'm my my family's Catholic, and uh, I'm kind of Catholic. Um, <laughs> a lot behind that statement. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I was preparing for my first communion, and you know you wear a nice white dress for your first communion, and so uh, my mom was like, "Hey, you should wear mine." And she pulls it out, and it's this, like, nice little dress from the 70s. And it's, like, old, and the fabric's really thin and, like, browning. And I was like, Mom, you must have been the ugliest girl at your first communion. (laughs) (laughs) My mom, like, laughed really hard at that, but I felt... I I remember thinking, like, that's probably the worst thing I've ever said at the time. (laughs) But now I'm like, oh, that's probably a little king thing to say. But I remember making that decision and saying, like, the meanest thing I possibly could to my mom. (laughs) I have a grandma story then. So when I got together with my cousins in Kansas City, um, the youngest cousin that was closest in our age, um, Lisa, she would, she was always like a rebel rouser and always thinking of things that I can never, you know, come up with these kinds of things to do. So she went into – because um, – our grandmother was living with them at that time because she was elderly, and she, and Lisa went into grandmother's room, and I don't know why she grabbed a pair of her clean underwear, but she did, and came into her room, and 
threw him up on the light, um, which was, you know, on the ceiling. And um, I didn't know about all this until I came in there one point, and I said, what is that smell? It's like burning. And they realized that Grandma's underwear was um, <laughs> burning up by the light. But, but what it makes me think of, and to apply this lesson really, is that sometimes, you know, if we're aware of certain things, and we don't do anything about it, like bystander stuff where we're not taking action. I mean, sometimes we just think, well, if I'm not going to do anything because um, I don't want to be involved, but really we, we can be contributing to certain things if we're not actually saying that's not okay, you know, or to stand up to things that are, you know, harmful or violent or whatever. So, um, yeah, that was a, my poor grandmother, yeah, she's since passed, and um, she didn't do anything to deserve her underwear getting burned up, but and she was a sweet, sweet lady, but I was not strong enough, you know, at that time to, to stand up to my cousin's mischievous ways. How do you, how can you be kind to people you don't like? Avoid them. Not be not 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 make them suffer with my presence. <laughs> that reminds me of a story. So, in my line of work, um, I'm dealing with abusers all the time. So, because these are all violent crimes, but it's a small community, and I ended up at a baby shower for my friend's son and partner and, and they were going to have a baby and the um, the son's girlfriend her father was hadn't gone to trial yet but he was charged with numerous sex crimes against young children now, I knew this person was going to be there, and so I told my friend, it's like, I will come. I will give the gift. I want to have them take my gift first, and I will leave because I just didn't really want to be around them. But, but we had a little um, potluck beforehand, and he was around, the offender was around the the picnic table and at one point he said to me will you pass me the mustard and so of course I did and it's it does like you were saying it's just being civil and you don't have to engage and but I don't also want to um, be disrespectful because I believe everyone deserves respect because we all are human. I mean, if you can look at it a little bit from a spiritual point of view, we're all soul. So if I can see a little bit of that there's the divine in everyone, even though I may not agree with people's actions, that helps me be a little bit more kind or loving, but that doesn't mean I have to agree or, you know, invite them into my circle of friends. So.
Would you say being kind is just saying words that aren't, like, chewing them out, I guess? Right. Some people, I mean, a lot of people I know say, I can never do your job because I would want to kill that person or I'd want to, you know, injure that person or whatever. Um, It takes practicing a lot of being neutral about it as much as you can. I mean, I can have an opinion about it, but... um, you know, and people will have a lot of judgment, but I, I still feel like because we're all human, you know, I don't know what happened to this guy growing up. I don't know if he was fended on. I don't know, but I could at least be respectful to him enough to pass him the mustard and, you know, make eye contact, and that was calling it good. So did he know you then in that, in that situation? I don't know if he knew my role. In the situation, But yeah. I think he probably did because I go to court all the time. And he's yeah, Hamilton's there. not very big, right? No. Yeah. So it was, it was a little awkward, but still, you know, I could have ignored him or I could have walked away or said something, disgust, you know, really mean. But I chose not to go there. It was a choice. But certainly there must be examples of, of, of so, so far we've only listed that, like situations in which we have said that being kind to someone who you don't like is kind of just like doing what you do with everyone else, but just not going any further. But is, is, I think, is there any situations you can think of where you've acted or you think you should have acted perhaps like exceptionally kind, like an act of kindness, not just an act of, 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 of like decency, but but going beyond that with someone who you didn't like. Because I like to think that I was like, oh yeah, man, I, I would totally do that. But I can't really think of any time that I was like, I don't like this person, that I'm gonna, they deserve me going above and beyond. I don't know if it'd be considered an act of kindness, but I've once like withheld information that could have gotten someone arrested mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't I don't know and this is someone I did not like but I don't know if that would be considered an act of kindness or not with protecting them in that way when I could have gotten them in a lot of trouble oh, I bet mm-hmm. he thinks so yeah, yeah I had, uh, when I was in high school I was stalked online by somebody who was also going to high school with me and uh, he was on my cross country team and uh, he got kicked off. I, I was he was harassing multiple women at the time and online, and I was the first one to kind of come up and say like, "Hey, this is happening." And luckily, my coach believed me and took swift action. And so uh, he told me that if anything like that happened again, he would be expelled. If because he created multiple accounts after I blocked him to try to contact me, and um, I found out like a few months later he created another account and I could have turned him in and gotten him expelled but I didn't and I don't know I wasn't sure if because I I know it was something really serious but I wasn't sure if it was so serious to not give him a high school diploma Mm. and I I toyed with that for a really long time Mm. I still don't really know the answer but I mean he's out of high school now it wouldn't even matter even if he was expelled, there's still the option of getting on his GED. 
Yeah. And it is like he was warned. It sounds like he went through a lot of effort to do what he did. Yeah. And he was warned and told, if you do this again, you're going to be done. Mm-hmm. So it might have been an act of kindness if he did tell to teach him some self-control. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of my intention when I first told, because I was like, it, at the time I was 17, 18, he was like 14. Like, I had the power in that situation. If mm-hmm. I was 12 at the time, he would have had the power in the situation, mm-hmm. and I could have been in a much danger, more dangerous situation, and I wouldn't have known as much as I did then. Mm-hmm. But when, because I was 17 and I was older, I was like, this is stupid, stop it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I've got a lot of power on this. I was the captain of the cross-country team at the time. I'm going to... Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm glad I had the power in that situation because it would have turned out much differently. Mm-hmm. I don't think other people would have had the courage to go up and say something. I was the only person who actually, like, went out and went out of my way to report it. Yeah, and that's a good ethical dilemma to think about. And um, because I think sometimes when it's just involving ourselves, we think, okay, I'm going to give this person another chance or whatever. However, I see people in court actually what they're saying with this, statistics about crime in our country is that the criminal offenses are not increasing. However, people are going to jail more often because of this kind of situation where they revoke or, you know, they break what their conditions are from the court. So they revoke and have to come back to court and go back to jail or whatever. So... Mm -hmm. What I tell people when I'm working with the victim is that the plus side, the positive side to getting involved with the criminal justice system is that finally the person who's offending is mandated to get help. Whereas before, sometimes it's just like a cry for help, but nothing's happening to make that. And so... I might not have done the same, I might have done what you did, you know, as far as, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to give this person a chance. But if I thought it through that, okay, if he's offending other people, then I might get more involved. As a matter of fact, here's, here's an example. I was working at a place where, you know, it was in um, the restaurant business and the, um, the chef was treating everyone very poorly, cussing at us, like harassing us to a place where I had a hard time working in that environment because it was a hostile work environment. And if it was just me, I'm not sure I would have said something, but there are a lot of young kids in high school working there, and I didn't want them to think that when you grow up and you're the boss, you get to mistreat other people. So I did go to... Um, the higher-ups and just said, here's what's going on, and I I just want to see that this person learns some better personal management skills for, you know, being the boss of the kitchen, you know, so that we're all learning um, better ways to interact and just set a better um, precedence um, and role model for younger kids. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to say what we might do, but if I if I think about other people, then I'm more likely and more courageous to, to take that next step. Yeah. One thing I wanted to tell a story. So, I'm from a small town. 
I came out of the closet in middle school. Mm-hmm. So I came out as gay. I was the only gay kid from, like, the middle school with all through the high school. I was the only gay kid in the entire school. And for me, normal was getting death threats on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Like, that was normal for me growing up. Is that like it's perfectly fine for people to tell me they're gonna kill me all the time? For people to show up my house with shovels a couple times, mm-hmm. like to me that was normal, and so that is an ex- and it took to the point where I had to have a kid drive by in a truck, throw a beer bottle at me, and miss me and hit a window of the place I was walking by for the police to do a goddamn thing, mm-hmm. because their big thing is if it happens on school property, it's the school's problem. Mm-hmm. And the school's like, we're not going to touch this. Mm-hmm. And so in Montana, kindness could be re- is really needed. Mm-hmm. So Missoula is significantly better. Like, Missoula is a godsend comparatively. But, like, on the other side of Montana, like, it's not okay at all. Yeah, I think so. And I think, and of course, I don't know. So this might be me. Like, But I think I would like to think that Missoula is certainly better than Miles City. And I think that Dylan and perhaps Hamilton – might be better than Miles City. When I think of Miles City, I think of some pretty, it's like... Awful. Some, it is, it is I mean, not awful. Like, I reckon there's probably a fair amount of Trump supporters in Miles City. Like, things like that. I think that mentality is probably more true. And that being said, like, I think there's absolutely, like, kids that made fun of, of, of gay kids or of um, people with different sexual orientations in Dylan. But now, I think of all those people now, I mean, yeah, they, they'll say, like, jokes to themselves. But honestly, a lot of the people I grew up with, a lot of the jocks and stuff like that, now that they, like, now that, like... A, like fairly decent amount of kids who have like left Dylan and felt comfortable coming out of the closet or to whatever. Um, now the thing about that, they don't. There, there isn't the hostility that I think one generation ago there would still be, and I think that. Um, so I just hope, I, I think that progress is being made, and I like to think that in twenty years or maybe fifty or hundred, that even places like like Miles City would that 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 will become better i think obviously like a big part of that is the policy like like schools are notoriously bad i think montana public schools are dealing with things like that i know that there's a lot of issues in dealing with that um but particularly if you have if you have the viewpoint of and this is kind of a, a, a side note but i think if you have um if you have administration in schools or like um people in the police work who, who don't believe that who, who believe that like homosexuality is wrong then they're not gonna they're not gonna make it there even though it might be the law and it might be correct they're not gonna put forth an honest effort in, in making sure that like kids are being treated fairly that's why i think that problem definitely exists um still and in montana but i, I definitely think that for progress is 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 changing i can say that montana this past in the past year finally implemented statewide the anti-bullying policies is that mandate and we were like I believe it was 50th in the country to do so it might have been 49th but we were way way behind and so um, what I would like to see when it comes to kindness in the schools is yes I believe we are making progress but I feel like I want to see it go from tolerance more to acceptance and I believe I do see changes like I think it's becoming like non-issue not a not not necessarily a non-issue for LGBT but not as um, maybe as hostile I don't know depends on which pocket of Montana you're in Um, so um, Jordan yes I don't I can't speak from your experience but I I know that um, 
I'm actually the president of PFLAG in my community, and, and schools are now asking for us to come in and help educate, you know, the, the staff, the administration, the personnel, and, in the, and we finally just got our first GSA in the high schools in Hamilton High recently, um, a few months ago. So um, there's hope. It gives me hope that people are at least having conversations and, um, and understanding how harmful because I can only imagine how difficult that would have been for you to go through and just how you could get through your day-to-day. I mean, you must have had to learn some really great coping skills to get through it or had a good support team. I don't know what you did to get through it, but I I don't know if you had to practice a lot of self-compassion to get through that. Tell me more about that. So... One thing I wanted to bring up for an act of kindness I've had towards me, my older brother was a middle child of the three of us. He had become, like, really, really terrifying. He became, like, the, an established drug dealer, and, like, he had one time where four guys attempted to jump him, and he put them all in the hospital. He became really, really scary for me because he was my protector. He took care of the bullies for, like, he was the one to care of the, um, the situation when people showed up at the house with shovels because no one can outgun Tyler. <laughs> so someone that's one thing of someone being really unkind to others is a huge kindness to me. <laughs> so <laughs> that was all that's also some of the situations where I can withhold where I withheld information that could have gotten people arrested if it was actually ever done anything about it. But that's just a um my family's greatest coping mechanism is we bury everything until it never comes back up. So that's my instant coping mechanism is just go robot and not care. And so, but it's through the people being on, like through the, through those hardships can be a kindness because I'm a much stronger person now. Like I have very thick skin now and nothing bothers me anymore. conversation thoughts from our story talk stars that it's, it's good to see someone who has more positive than I do it's good to have that like uh, the more hope that someone else has that I don't because I am I am really negative when it comes to kindness like in general I remember I've never I've never been like I was raised with pretty liberal parents I think and and so I remember my mom got super pissed at me when I used the word gay in like a derogatory sense even though talking about like inanimate things or like whatever and so I never said that but yeah I remember consciously thinking I've been thinking about this since like even jokingly when I call my friend something that is like a, a slang term even like now I'm like I know it's a joke I have a lot of gay friends I'm absolutely in support of gay rights and, and everything like that but I was like is, is my vernacular still harmful? I enjoyed how our conversations became organic into well, first of all, just learning about each other and taking perspective of others and wanting to hear each person's story and what was meaningful for them.
Stay tuned for a preview of our next episode. And make sure you subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It really helps more people find us. Story Talk is produced by Rebecca Collins, Harris Rosendahl, Joel Weltzin, William C. Riley, Kimberly Lamarck, Kat Brandos, and Bree Zender. This podcast is in association with the Global Leadership Initiative at the University of Montana. Our faculty advisor is Tobin Miller-Shearer. Special thanks to the Student Affairs IT and the UM School of Journalism for our audio equipment. Music is produced by Tyler Twombly and Poddington Bear. Thanks for listening. Next time on Story Talk, the Hope episode. I mean, being away from home, sometimes there are those moments where you feel just like emptiness and don't know why, but I think it's because of not being home for a long time or around like family. Every time I step into a classroom, particularly on the first day of semester, my hope battery gets recharged. Now, admittedly, about three quarters of <laughs> the way through when students aren't doing the readings that I've assigned them and they're, not everyone is getting an A, that recharge gets a little tapped out. I, even, even after everything that had happened, you know, I still felt like I wasn't really going to find somebody. Um, and I think a lot of that had mm-hmm. to do with the way that media portrays gay men as being very not looking like me. You know? Catch that next time on Story Talk, the conversation you've never heard.